What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Okay, hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Conscious Love Show. Shane here, always a pleasure to be with you, and I've been really looking forward to today's conversation. So um, what I want to speak about today is how to become attracted to that safe, secure, reliable, stable, and possibly boring person, right? Now, I, I want to be very clear. I don't actually think these people are boring. When I say this, I mean, I'm really talking about myself, talking about my wife, right? So like, I don't actually think these people are boring, but... I know how it felt, and if I'm honest, how it can even feel sometimes, right? When, you know, these days, like, I'm not going out to the club. I'm not looking for anybody. I'm not sitting by my phone. Are they going to text me? Are they not? I'm not chasing anyone, trying to hook up. So, like, right, like, the thrill, the thrill that used to be in my love life is not there in the same way anymore. Right. Like there there's a when we're in the kind of dating world, we're in the drama of it all. There's a lot of thrill that comes with that. There's a lot of excitement. Will it happen? Won't it happen? What can I count on? What can I not? How do I get this person to like me? What do I got to say or do to be attractive, to be wanted, to be desirable? Right. There's a lot of thrill that happens in all of that. It's exciting. It's it's unpredictable. It's surprising. We don't know where it's going to go. We don't know what's going to happen. And you know, my life today doesn't really look like that. I mean, what do we do? We get up, we say good morning, we, you know, we go to work, we come home, we cook dinner, we clean up, we sit down, we snuggle, we watch some TV. Of course, you know, we, we go on vacation, we, we go out to parties, like we, we do fun things. I'm not saying there's no fun or no excitement in our lives, but our life today is quite predictable it's quite routine. It's quite regimented, right? The unpredictability, the excitement, the surprise, the wondering, the wanting, the like a lot of that's not there anymore. And I know for me, and, and I think for a lot of people, it can be tough to transition from the excitement, the unpredictability, the inconsistency, the wondering, the trying, the, it, you know, to transition to that to just settling in with someone and being secure and things are predictable and, and there's really no danger. There's no wondering, there's no wanting, right? It's all, it's all good. And a lot of us, I mean, I think all of us probably when we're, when we're starting out, right? And when we're, when we're uh, in the dating world, maybe in our twenties or when we're younger, there's this, there's this feeling of like, when I meet my person, when I find the right person, I'm going to want to settle down. I'm going to want to be loved forever. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to want to settle into that relationship and just snuggle up for life and be loved and be held. Like we think that's what's going to happen. But many of you, and if not all of you to some degree, may find yourself 
in the dating world and you meet those people that have the potential to have that secure, safe, reliable, consistent love with them. And you feel that those people are very boring. You feel that those people, there's not, there's just, there's something missing. They're just vanilla. They're just, they, they don't spark that fire inside of me. They don't get me pumped. They don't get me excited, right? They're, it's just it, it, because it's a different energy than what I'm used to. It's a different energy than what I've been living in for most of my life. And when I say most of my life, I'm not just talking about our adult life. I'm actually talking about our whole life. And like people say to me sometimes, they're like, you know, I have friends that they just right out of high school or right out of college found their partner and got married. And there wasn't a lot of drama. There wasn't a lot of struggle. They just, they just seemed to find a good person and settle in and move on with their life. And then they made a bunch of babies and bought a house and now they're living the dream, right? Why couldn't I do that? And probably all of you know people like that, right? Like probably all of you know people that just settled into their relationship and, you know, made a bunch of babies live happily ever after. And we wonder, why can't I do that? The first thing I say is often those relationships are not all they seem to be. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is that those people, the people who can settle into a relationship like that and buy a house and make a family and just be content with it right off the bat are probably people who naturally, based on their upbringing, based on their past life experience, they're probably people who naturally have a very secure attachment style. They were very secure in their childhood. They had secure parents. Their emotional needs were met. They were validated. They were heard. They were encouraged. They, they built very natural confidence, right? And, and so for them, in their blueprint of relationships from the time they were born and all the relationships they've been experiencing throughout their whole lives, their blueprint is kind of boring. And again, I don't mean that boring in a negative way. I mean, there's not a lot of fluctuation. There's not extreme highs and extreme lows, right? There's not a lot of unpredictability. There's not a lot of, I don't know what to expect. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what's going to happen, right? That is not their blueprint for relationships because their whole life, Everything they've known in relationships has been pretty much mom and dad were always there. My needs were met. When I was crying, someone was there to take care of me. When I was scared, someone was there to comfort me. When I needed something, someone was there to provide it for me. When I got in trouble at school or, or I got bullied at school, I could talk to my parents. They would give me guidance on it, right? Like people who that's their blueprint for relationships find it very easy and very natural to settle into a very stable, consistent relationship. They just, it's, it's very, it's very natural for them. It comes naturally. But if that was not your experience, and I'd say most of us, that was not our experience, right? Like, of course there, are, there are people who had secure parents and were raised securely. They're out there. I mean, there's 8 billion people in the world. All of it exists, but most of us, most of us have not had that, right? Like, you know, I look at what went on with my mom and she was 19 years old. She was a high school kid who had a baby, right? She was trying to get through college. She was dropping me off with babysitters and friends here and there. I didn't know when I was going to see her, when I wasn't going to see her, when she would be available, when she wouldn't be available, right? She was like constant financial stress, constant relationship stress, bringing home like toxic men and like exposing me and my sisters, like these toxic men. And like, so this was my childhood 
right? Unpredictable, inconsistent. My mom loved me. She was a good mom. She tried really hard to be a good mom, but she was inconsistent. Things were unpredictable. There were toxic men around. My mom was married and divorced several times throughout my childhood. I mean, like this was the drama that I grew up in. This is my blueprint for relationships. You know, my wife grew up with like first generation immigrant Portuguese parents. They didn't have time for love. They were like, life is hard. We got to work. My, my wife tries to reach out for love from her mom and her mom says, get away from me. I'm busy. And that was her relationship blueprint, right? And, and I think all of us, like if you look back at your history, we have a pretty chaotic, unpredictable blueprint for relationships. And what you've got to understand and I've talked about the ego a lot in the podcast, and those of you who listen have heard me speak about this. The ego is the part of our consciousness that is constantly trying to keep us safe, right? It is constantly on, on alert for danger and trying to keep us safe. And when the ego doesn't perceive any danger, which honestly, for the ego to never perceive danger in any form is very rare. There, there are moments where the ego just feels totally content. Most of the time, the ego is perceiving some kind of danger in some form. But there's this part of our consciousness that is constantly on high alert for danger. And when it sees danger, it triggers our nervous system, it triggers our homeostasis to, to make us to force some kind of uh, survival response, usually fight, flight, uh, I'm drawing like, uh, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, right? It's usually one of those four responses. And so when we feel danger, our nervous system is triggered. We become on high alert. Uh, hormones like cortisol are released into the system to create a stress response that moves us into action right? It moves us into action. It makes us do something. And, and what we've learned in childhood, it varies. You know, you might've learned something a little bit different than what I learned, but it's usually fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, right? And so when our, when the ego is not perceiving danger, there's a relative homeostasis in our body. There's a relative sense of ease and just, I feel okay. I don't feel that I need to react. I don't feel that I need to take control. I don't feel that I need to protect myself. I'm just relatively at ease. Now, this is where things get really confusing because if the ego was good at its job, things would be okay, right? Like, like this is, this is the mind fuck of all of it is that if the ego was actually good at its job, it would perceive danger. It would alert us to danger. We would respond to that alert and we would protect ourselves. The ego is really, really bad at its job because it doesn't know what is dangerous and what is not. And this is where everything gets convoluted and everything gets confusing because the ego really doesn't know what's dangerous and what's not. So when the ego looks for safety, the ego doesn't look for what's actually safe. When the ego looks for happiness, the ego doesn't look for what actually brings happiness. The ego looks for what's familiar, right? A, a, a beautiful example of this is drug addiction. And some of you may have a history with, with addiction, maybe not. But you can, whether you have a history with it or not, you can see it very clearly where the addict is constantly going to what is familiar, 
right? Now this thing might be ruining their life. They might be, they might be performing sexual acts on the street corner to get 20 bucks for a hit. It might be literally ruining their lives in every respect, but it's familiar. And so the consciousness is, is there, they are wired to feel that the only way they are safe is when they have that substance. And whenever that substance is absent, they are wired, whenever that substance is absent, they are wired to feel unsafe, which throws them into a survival response that they are constantly operating in until they get the substance again. They get the substance, they have a moment of peace, a moment of ease, their body goes back to equilibrium, they feel at ease, substance wears off, the cycle repeats itself. All of us have that cycle going on in some way to some degree. Now, it might not be with drugs. It, it could be with relationships. It could be with work. It could be with, it, it could be with anything. But the, the thing is, is that our egos have decided what is safe. And our egos are constantly seeking out that experience. Now, in relationships, this becomes really, really confusing. Because what our egos have decided are safe are often things that are actually dangerous. And what our egos have decided are dangerous are often things that are actually safe, specifically in the domain of romantic relationships. So what do I mean by that? If you had parents when you were younger that were anywhere from inconsistent to abusive, anywhere on that spectrum, and when I say that, I'm talking to 85% of the human population, if not more. Okay, parents who are anywhere from inconsistent to abusive, anywhere on that spectrum. You developed a familiarity with inconsistency. You developed a familiarity with unpredictability. You developed a familiarity with survival patterns. And so what happens is, your ego is not looking for the relationship that's going to make you feel loved and secure and safe and whole. Your ego is looking for a relationship that is going to put you in a position where you have to operate in the survival patterns that have kept you safe your whole life. So what do I mean by that? If you were in a household where you constantly had to compete for your parents' attention, Maybe you competed with siblings. Maybe you competed against their phones. Most of you probably didn't have to do that. That's more of a modern problem. The, the next generation is going to have to deal with that, right? But actually, it's a real problem. Children competing with their parents' phones is a, it's like an epidemic now. But um, so if you had to compete for your parents' attention, right? If you had to perform, if you had to get straight A's, if you had to be the top performing athlete, if you had to be the most attractive, the prom queen or whatever it was, right? Like if you had to earn your parents' attention, if you had to compete for your parents' attention, if you had to prove yourself for your parents, your relational blueprint becomes about competing and proving yourself for love. So you will only ever feel safe in an environment in which you are competing and proving your love. And so you might be out in your life, out in the world, identifying these people, going, wow, he's hot, wow, she's hot. And then you put this person up on a pedestal 
and you say, wow, if I could only have a person like that, if I could only have a person like that, that would be everything. I would be set. I would, I would be, I would be set for life. I would have all my needs met. I would be fulfilled. If only someone like that could love me. Now, what you don't realize is happening is it's actually never about you wanting that person. It's actually never about getting that person to love you. It's, it's never about any of that. What it is about is you reliving the dynamic you had with your parents that made you feel safe. You're literally trying to replay that dynamic in your adult life, consciously telling yourself, if I could get someone like that to love me, I would be sad, I would have it made. All my dreams would come true. Consciously telling yourself that, while unconsciously, trying to place yourself in position to perpetuate the survival pattern the survival pattern that is in alignment with your relational blueprint if that makes sense tap that heart a few times i just i want to make sure you're following me on this so if that makes sense what i just said tap that heart a few times let's take another example let's say you grew up in a dangerous household right it wasn't about it wasn't about performing and competing for attention. It wasn't about, you know, all of that. It was about making yourself small and hiding to keep yourself safe. Like, let's say you grew up in a household where if you stood out too much, you were just going to get slapped around. A lot of people grew up in a household like that, right? If I stand out too much, if I, if I get too much attention over here, I'm going to start getting smacked around. So what do you do instead? You hide. You make yourself small. You don't use your voice. You stay in your bedroom or you stay off in the corner. You read your books or you play your games. You do whatever you do, but you do it quietly. You do it to yourself. You don't you don't create attention, right? That's what you learned. That's your relational blueprint. Now, what are you going to do as an adult? Well, you're either going to seek out relationships where you have to be that way. You might end up with an abusive partner who if you speak up too much, they'll just beat you up. Or you could adapt differently, right? You, you could say, I'm never going to be with someone like that. I am never going to let someone hurt me the way my parents hurt me. And so you just keep relationships at a distance. And you never let anyone get too close. This is hardwired into us, right? It becomes a part of our physiology. You cannot think your way out of this. A lot of you might be wondering, you might say, I've, you might say, I've done so much work. I've read so many books. I've listened to a hundred podcasts. I've, I've gone to retreats. I've, I've done all this stuff, like, but I still can't break the patterns. Why is that? And the reason is, is that you can't think your way into this. This is hardwired in your physiology. It's, like, it's literally in your body. It's a part of who you are. And you can't think your way out of this. No amount of information can override what's wired into your system. And so what needs to happen is actually like a rewiring of your system. You've got to create a new relational blueprint. So in every interaction... 
Let's say you meet someone, you go on a few dates with them, you start getting to know them. Maybe you like them, maybe you don't. You're figuring it out. You don't really know how you feel yet. And you're going on a few dates with this person. What your ego is doing is it's picking up on very, very subtle cues. Cues that you're consciously not even aware of. I'll give an example. There's, there's someone in the Inspired Love program who shared the story. She said that growing up, her, her parents were alcoholic, drug addict, um, just, you know, lived that whole lifestyle, right? Grew up with alcoholic, drug addict parents. Now, as an adult, she got very clear, like crystal clear in her mind. I do not want an alcoholic or drug addict partner. It's not something I want for myself, not something I want for my kids. I grew up with that. That's how my parents were. I do not want an alcoholic, drug addict partner. So she goes out in her life looking for someone who's not an alcoholic, not a drug addict. She meets someone, checks all the boxes, perfect guy on paper, right? Like, oh, I mean, you know, great job, great provider, kind, compassionate, stable, like perfect on paper, right? Marries him, has a couple of kids with him, then finds out 10 years into their marriage that he's been hiding a drug addiction this whole time. Now, you can't make this stuff up. Like, you, like when, when you do this work as long as I do and you see these patterns playing out over and over and over again, you start to realize like you can't make this stuff up. We can't escape ourselves. You see, consciously, consciously, she was aware that I do not want an alcoholic or a drug addict partner unconsciously, her ego was seeking out cues, subtle cues, unconscious cues that she wasn't even consciously aware of, but it was matching subtle patterns of behavior up to the patterns that she saw in her parents. She wasn't even aware that she was doing this. Consciously, she was checking the boxes. Okay, stable, honest, good provider, blah, 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 checking all the boxes unconsciously, she was matching up cues from him to cues from her parents. And it didn't hit the fan till 10 years down the road. Like, it's so important. And I know like the title of this show is how to become attracted to the safe, secure person. And we're going to talk about that. But before we can talk about that, it's really important you understand this part. Because some of you are out there chasing down people who are unhealthy for you. And you're going like, oh my God, like, why am I doing this? I listen to Shane's podcast every week. I've read all the books. I've done the seminars. Like, why am I still doing this? And you might even beat yourself up for it. You might even have a lot of shame around it. And there's nothing to be ashamed of here. Because this was wired into you. It's not your fault. But what you need to do is really understand the gravity of the situation. Really understand the, the gravity of what you're dealing with, and then you can rewire it. So let's talk about the rewiring process. This really comes down to some form of inner child healing. And there are different there are different kinds of schools approaches to this, but they all, they all inherently get at the same thing, even if they approach it a little bit differently. 
But basically, what you have is an addicted pattern that's operating inside of you. And it's been going on since you were very young. And it's been wired to look for certain relational cues. And, it's, and when it identifies those cues, it triggers in your nervous system a certain pattern of behaving that feels very familiar for you and you just slip right into it. And you think you're chasing what you want, but all you're actually doing is reliving the past. So the way to, the way to work with this, my first suggestion is to make a commitment to yourself to take relationships very slowly. Like just, just make that commitment to yourself that I'm just going to take relationships very slowly. And even your pattern might be the opposite of that, right? Like if you say, I'm going to take relationships slowly, your pattern might be the opposite of that. Your pattern might be to rush in head over heels, right? So like even that is going to challenge your pattern to some degree. But if you can, the reason I say it's so important to take this slowly is because you need space to be consciously aware of your experiences step-by-step step in the relationship. Because when you meet that person, and I, I gave two examples earlier. I gave the example of someone who had to compete for their parents' attention, and I gave the example of someone who was abused by their parents, like, like it wasn't safe. They had to hide to keep themselves safe. So let's just keep working with these two examples. In the person who had to compete for their parents' attention, let's say that this person meets someone who is going to allow them to replay that pattern, right? Now, initially what's going to happen is there's going to be this intense attraction. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like, you know the feeling. I mean, is that the, the very intense attraction? It's not like, it's actually not a healthy attraction. And what I say to my clients is a healthy attraction isn't like this, oh my God, I just, I'm so into this person. I just, I can't stop thinking about them. I just want to see them all the time. That's not a healthy attraction. When you feel that way about someone, like make that like a trigger for yourself where you go, oh, I'm in a trauma pattern right now. Like when you, when you ever feel that like uber intense attraction for someone, like just trigger for yourself, like, oh, whoa, I'm in a trauma pattern right now. Because there is no logical, rational reason that I should feel this intensely about someone I barely know. I mean, I don't even feel that way about my wife. I've been with her for seven years. <laughs> right? Like, like, there is no rational reason to feel that way about someone you barely know. So when you see that happening for you, recognize, I'm in a trauma pattern right now. Because a healthy attraction doesn't feel like that. A healthy attraction feels like, I like this. This is interesting. I'm curious to see where it goes. I want to know what happens next. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. I don't, this person doesn't owe me anything. But this is exciting. I want to see what happens, right? That's a healthy attraction. It's, it's a, an interest, a secure interest without attachment, without fear. The willingness to receive it and the willingness to let it go at the same time. But when, let's go back to what I was saying. When this person who their whole life has had to compete for their parents' attention 
And then they meet this person who is going to allow them to continue playing out this pattern. They're going to put this person on a pedestal. They're going to feel this very intense attraction for this person. And then they're going to fall into this pattern, right? This, let me prove myself. Let me compete. Let me show them how great I am. What do I have to do to get them to like me? Now, this pattern is actually very, very painful. Like it hurts a lot. And you know it, right? You've been in it. Any of you who have been in this pattern before, you know, like it hurts a lot to be in this pattern. But when you're unconscious, you don't realize how much it hurts, right? When you're just, when you're in, like the, the thing that happens here, like I really want to say it this way because this is what really lands it. The thing that happens is you might be a 35, 45 year old, amazing human being, capable, successful. You've done all this stuff in your life. But as soon as you develop that really intense attraction to that person and you start trying to prove yourself, you're no longer 35, 45 years old. You're like eight years old now. In every other area of your life, you might be 35, 45 years old, but when it comes to this person, this dynamic, you're eight years old. And you're relating with this person as an eight-year-old. And you're in those eight-year-old patterns. And see, here's the thing. It's painful. It was painful when you were eight. It's painful now, right? Like this pattern has never not been painful. The problem is an eight-year-old does not have the cognitive ability to sit down and go, this is painful. Why does it hurt? What am I doing that's not in my highest good, right? The eight-year-old doesn't have that ability. So when you lapse into becoming that eight-year-old and you're just relating as an eight-year-old in this relationship and that eight-year-old has taken over, you have no ability to do anything differently. And so what you got to do and this is coming back to taking it slow. You've got to have some space to really feel into your experience. I did an episode um, several months ago. It might have been a year ago now, but I did an episode that it was about being, it was about trust who you're attracted to. But don't assume that who you're attracted to is the one for you just because you're attracted to them. And what I said in that episode was that the people you're attracted to are creating opportunities for healing because they are going to bring up the familiar pattern and give you an opportunity to work with it. But if you assume that just because you're attracted to someone, they're the right one for you, you're going to miss your opportunity for healing. You see, you need to be smart enough to know that you're attracted to people who are bad for you. You need to be aware enough to know that when you're attracted to someone intensely, they're probably bad news. And then what you do is you explore that attraction consciously and you learn from it. You allow it to create a greater awareness of yourself. So how does this look? Well, first thing you would do is you would need to recognize, okay, I'm an eight-year-old right now. Right? I started dating this person. I feel this intense attraction. I'm constantly thinking about what can I do to get them to like me? What do I have to say? How do I have to say it? Should I text? Should I not? Playing all these weird games. Right? I'm doing all this stuff. Okay, just like catch yourself. Oh, I'm an eight-year-old right now. Right? Like, I'm not an amazing adult. Like, an amazing, capable, talented, responsible adult doesn't play stupid games like this. An amazing, capable, talented adult doesn't sit there and go, are they going to like me? Why haven't they texted me? What are they doing? Are they seeing someone else? Are they going to lose interest? Did I say something wrong? Amazing, talented, capable adults don't do that. Children do that. 
So when you're doing that, catch yourself. Oh, I'm an eight-year-old right now. Oh, I'm relating in this relationship as, as an eight-year-old relates with their parents right now. Okay, boom. Step number one, you've caught yourself. You've seen that you reverted back to being an eight-year-old. What do you do next? Next, you've got to access your adult. How do you do that? There's um, <clears throat> an exercise I recently heard about that, uh, that I thought was really powerful. If you can anchor a time in your life, uh, there's um, in neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, there's a tool called anchoring. And, and what, it, what it is, is it's to either anchor a sensation in your body or a vivid memory or a feeling, or sometimes you could do it with like something you do. Like you could say like, you could, I don't want to overcomplicate this, but to give an example of what anchoring is, you could train your body. It's like, if I clap three times, I feel happy. And you could practice that so many times that every time you clap three times, you feel happy, right? Like you can literally train your body to respond emotionally to some kind of specific stimulation. This is actually, that's a version of wiring your system. But I'm not really talking about that. What I'm talking about with anchoring here is that if you can think of a very specific memory, a very specific instance in your life, maybe it was a moment of success. Maybe it was when you accomplished an incredible goal. Maybe it was when you won some kind of achievement. Maybe it was a moment of peace. Maybe it was when, you know, like for me, like, I could think of like swimming with dolphins in Bimini, right? It was like just one of the experiences in my life where I was like totally present. I felt totally capable, totally at ease, like, like just in my zone, like with these magical creatures, like, like top, like three peak experiences of my life. Right? So you could anchor an experience like that when you were really in your capable, intelligent, you know, worthy self, right? And you can anchor that experience. So let's just say I'll take swimming and swimming with dolphins in Bimini. Take that as an example. So now here I am in this relationship with this person. Oh my God, I'm an eight-year-old right now. I'm acting crazy. This is not going to work. If I don't stop this, I can see very clearly that I'm going to drive this relationship into the ground, right? Okay. So now I catch myself. Now what do I do? Now I anchor that experience of myself as a capable, intelligent adult. Swimming with dolphins in Bimini. Oh, let me just go there. Let me be there right now. Let me just, how did it feel to swim with the dolphins? What was it like? How did I feel about myself? What were my thoughts at the time? What were my emotions at the time? Right? Let me, let me just really connect to that. And so what I'm doing is I'm creating a somatic experience of myself as a talented, capable adult. Now, in maybe just a matter of a few minutes, I've shifted from being this helpless, incapable child to being this talented, capable adult who's secure, who has my shit together, right? Like maybe another example I could give is like, I could imagine myself speaking on stage in a seminar, right? Like how more capable can you be than that? When I have a hundred people in a room, they're all listening to what I say, taking notes, right? That's a really good example of me being a capable adult. So you got to find an example from your life, something that's real for you. And then you, you bring the adult to the child. 
So what you basically do is you, you look at this child from the adult perspective, having, having stepped into that adult perspective. You then look at this eight-year-old child, this, this little inner you. They've been there your whole life. They've been desperately craving love and performing and doing all this stuff your whole life. And you look at this little child. And the first thing you do is you just have some empathy for it. You just have some empathy for how much this child has suffered. All the times that they've turned themselves inside out to prove themselves and then got rejected anyway. All the times that they've been desperately in love and, and, and had those feelings unrequited. Right. All the, all like you look at your, your actual childhood, like what did that child go through in childhood? And you have some compassion for those experiences, right? Like you just, you really connect to that child. You connect to the lived experience of that child. You understand the blueprint that that child is operating from, right? You see what happened in childhood and how that set the tone, how that created a blueprint for relationships throughout that child's life. And you just have an incredible amount of empathy and compassion for the lived experience of this child. Who is you? And then you can start to feel how much suffering this pattern creates. You can just start to feel all the times that you've turned yourself inside out and, and bent over backwards for this person and that person and felt like you weren't enough. And you could just see how much suffering this creates. And it's actually, it's actually so simple that you wouldn't think it works, but it does. Because once you've had empathy and compassion for that child, and you've really connected to the pain and the suffering of living in these patterns, like 90% of the work is done at that point. And then the last maybe 10% would be to encourage and to validate that child, to remind them that you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to live this way anymore. You don't have to be this person anymore. You don't have to compete for love anymore. You're enough already. I love you, right? You as the adult speaking to you as the child, I love you. And what you're actually doing in those moments when you connect with that child in that way is you are dissolving that old blueprint. Because that child said, if I don't do this, I won't be loved. If I don't do this, I won't be safe. If I don't perform, if I don't compete, I won't get what I need. And now you're finding the security within yourself. You're bringing that security to the child. And you're literally saying like, you don't have to do all of that. You are safe right now. You are loved right now. What you're actually doing is you as the adult are meeting the needs of the child that were not met in childhood. 
And in that, you're dissolving an old blueprint. Now, it's not just one and done, right? Like this is a practice. And so let's, let's go back to the illustration where this person was in this relationship and they were starting to see themselves fall into these patterns, but they caught themselves and said, oh no, I'm an eight-year-old right now. I need to be a grown-up. And then they, they met the child in that way. And in that moment, they found some relief. In that moment, they felt a little more secure than they did before. In that moment, they felt a little more capable than they did before. In that moment, they felt a little bit more like, if I lose this person, I'll be okay. If this person leaves, I'll be okay, right? They just, in that moment, they felt a little bit more of that than they did before. Now they need to keep doing it. They need to keep working with it. They need to keep practicing it. Anytime that comes up, anytime they see themselves reverting back to that eight-year-old, anytime they see themselves falling into those old patterns, anytime they see themselves sitting by the phone waiting for a text message, anytime they see themselves wondering, you know, when am I going to hear from this person? Are they going to love me? Are they going to leave me, right? Anytime they see themselves in any of that, they've got to keep practicing this because piece by piece, step by step, you're dissolving that old blueprint. And then what's going to happen is you're going to see the assuming that this person you found was somebody who was going to trigger those old patterns, Right. So you're going to see that old stuff, that old, you know, the inconsistency, the not letting you know where you stand, the vague language, the the things that people would do to make you feel like you need to compete and prove yourself. Right. And, and you're, you're going to start to see that stuff. But it's going to start to feel very different from you. Whereas before those kinds of behaviors you know, not calling for five days and, and all that stuff. Those kinds of inconsistent behaviors triggered something in you that made you need to prove yourself. Even if consciously you know I deserve better than that, unconsciously you're wired to the pattern. But as you practice dissolving this old blueprint, what starts to happen is you start to see those behaviors and they just, they fall flat for you. It's just like that. Ah, I'm not into it. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. I'm not vibing with it. It just, it's, it's the most natural thing in the world. Like this is the thing, like so many of you are out there right now trying to do the thing that you think you're supposed to be doing. And you feel like you got to force yourself to do it because everything in you wants to fall into the old pattern and you've got to make yourself do the right thing, even though you don't feel like it. And that way is never going to work. That's, that's like white knuckling your life, right? And you can only go so far with that and then you'll always revert back to the old pattern. It's only by dissolving the blueprint that we actually want a new pattern. Right? Like by dissolving the blueprint, it's not that I need to make myself be attracted to something I'm not attracted to. It's that I actually want something new because I'm rewriting the blueprint. And this is the interesting thing. So I'm, I see myself in that old pattern being that eight-year-old in all those behaviors. And then I access my secure 
rational, capable adult. I bring that to my inner child. I meet those needs. I meet those vulnerabilities. I, I bring that security. Now, what I'm actually doing is I'm creating a secure attachment between my adult self and my inner child. I'm creating an actual secure attachment. The, see, the secure attachment that could not be formed in childhood because my parents didn't have that to offer me, so I just didn't get it? Well, I'm actually creating that now. I'm actually going into my past and healing my past attachment wounds. And how does this translate? It translates into desiring secure love. Because when the little eight-year-old self or five-year-old self or three-year-old self that still lives in my consciousness, still lives in my body, when that self no longer has all of those unmet needs, the magical thing about this is that it's not going to crave those patterns in relationship. You see, when I was, when I was very young, I had certain needs that didn't get met. Certain needs for encouragement, attention, validation, love, physical touch, um, like just safety, like just knowing that like my environment was safe and I was okay, knowing that I was protected, right? Like these are needs that in my childhood I didn't have met. And so because those needs were not met, I developed a coping system. I developed a way of handling those needs not being met. I developed a way of dealing with those needs not being met. And I've been doing that my whole life ever since, right? Like ever since I've just been coping. And so my relational blueprint is not about love and intimacy and security and being held. That's not in my relational blueprint. My relational blueprint is all about coping. So when I'm looking for love in my adult life, I'm not looking for security and being held and being treasured and cherished. I'm looking to cope because that's what I know. And so I need to create an external situation that reinforces my coping mechanisms. I want to take the other example because I, I, I want to touch on it because the, the poor avoidance, they always get such a bad rap, you know, they always get classified as uncaring and narcissistic and, and that's not what they are at all. I mean, they're, they're just, they just have a different coping strategy, but you know, the anxious people, the anxious people, like, they're just like, I want to love all out. And the avoidant people are like, I need some space. Give me a break. And the poor avoidant people, nobody really understands them. <laughs> but so if we say I was working with more of an anxious example, let's take more of an avoidant example where, so in the anxious, in the anxious example, my childhood was inconsistent, right? I had to compete, approve, vie for attention, right? The love was there. It was just inconsistent. In the avoidance example, where maybe it wasn't inconsistency, it was more like abuse, right? Like the, the interesting thing about avoidance is like 
it's when I reach out for love, it wasn't there, right? Like my parents, I gave the example with my wife earlier where, you know, she would try to crawl into her mother's lap and her mother would push her off and say, get away from me, right? It's like I reached out for love and it wasn't there. And so how did I cope? I coped by withdrawing internally. And so in, in the dating world as adults, the anxious people are usually in a pattern of chasing, proving, competing, right? The avoidant people are usually stuck in a pattern of distance, right? Whether it's casual relationships, whether it's um, like I try to have relationships, but when we get too far in, I just pull away, right? But the the um, the avoidant people are the people that just are, are hardwired to feel that intimacy is dangerous. And so who are they going to seek out? Well, they're going to seek out people with their own intimacy issues, right? Because intuitively, remember, we're looking for subtle cues here. Right? We're not, we're not looking at what's on the surface. We're tuning into these subtle cues that reflect the subtle cues from our past. And so the, the avoidant person is going to look for those subtle cues that are going to tell me this relationship isn't going to go very far. Right? We're going to get, we're going to get three months in and then, and then it's going to implode because neither one of us really want love. Or, the other thing, the, the more conscious avoidant person, the person who is aware, okay, I'm aware that I'm avoidant and I want love. So I'm looking for people who really want love, but I'm still hardwired to run from love. And so I'm going to get so far into a relationship with someone and it's going to get too uncomfortable for me. And then I'm going to pull back. Now it's the same practice I talked about earlier, right? It's really it would look a little bit different. So the, the avoidant person would tune into, again, as I said earlier, empathy and compassion for what that child went through. Like, oh my God, how pain, like if, if you just imagine, like all of you listening right now, put yourself in the position, like just imagine a little three-year-old child putting its hands up, like reaching out for love. And, and the, the adult just turns and walks away. Or the adult says, get out of my face. Or I don't have time for you. Or what are you doing? Right? Like, I mean, just, just imagine that, that little child reaching out for love and just being ignored or neglected or worse, hurt because of it. Right? Abused because of it. Get out of my face with a smack or something like that. Like, you imagine how painful that is. And, and people who have avoidant tendencies usually have lived through something like this. And what that person is going to do is at a certain point, they're going to stop reaching out, right? That child reaches out for love and they reach out and they reach out and they reach out and they reach out. And then at a certain point, they just stop reaching. They realize every time I reach out, I get hurt. I get rejected. I get ignored. I get hit. I get pushed away. So they just stop reaching out. And as an adult, they need to connect to the pain of that. 
They need to connect to the pain of what that felt like and have compassion and empathy for that experience. Because the truth is, in large part, they've never connected to that pain. They've just spent their whole life compensating for it. So they need to connect to what it really felt like when I was little and I reached out to my parents and like, I just wanted to be held and nobody wanted to hold me. I just wanted, you know, I just wanted to come home from school with an A on my report card and show my mom and just have her be like, good job. But I came home from school and my mom was passed out on the couch. Right. And this is, this is what their blueprint about love told them. This is what their blueprint about love taught them. So first they need to connect to the pain of that. What did it feel like to live that? They need to have compassion and empathy for that. Then the next thing they need to do is, is bring that security, right? Bring that security as that capable adult, bring that security. Say, hey, it's okay. It's okay to open up. It's okay to receive love. You don't have to live in that pattern anymore, right? Once again, very similar to what we talked about before. They're creating a secure attachment, right? They have the compassion. They have the empathy for what that child went through. They connect to how painful it is to live in this pattern. Like, here's the thing. This, this desire for love and connection is a human need that we all have like so deeply. It's a human need that we all have so deeply. And an avoidant person has disconnected from that need because being open to that need was too painful. So now what they need to do is open themselves up to that need again become available to that need again. And then in the same way we did before, little by little with each experience, when you feel like you want to run, you're in a relationship with someone, it's getting deep. And all of a sudden you feel like you need to run. You feel like you need to pull away. You feel like I can't do this. In that moment, you've got to check in with, oh, I'm not an adult right now. I'm a child. I'm a little five-year-old child who's afraid that if I let this person know how much I really want to be connected to them, that I'm going to get hurt. So I've got to see that. I've got to catch myself being that child. I've got to connect to that secure adult in me. Bring that to that child. And all of this happens in baby steps. It doesn't matter if you're on the anxious side or if you're on the avoidant side. It doesn't matter because it all happens in baby steps. You've got to take that next little step. You've got to just take that next little step, that next little baby step. And then regulate yourself. And then take the next step. And then regulate yourself and then take the next step, and then regulate yourself. And when I talk about regulating, I know I haven't necessarily used that word much today, but what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is that process of taking that 
adult aspect of you and connecting with the child aspect of you and meeting those needs, creating that secure attachment within yourself. The more you build a secure attachment within yourself, the more you will naturally be able to relate securely with other people. Wherever you stop, like this is the thing, is when it comes to relationships, we all have what our nervous system can handle is, is basically what it comes down to. And when, when any relationship gets to the point where it's too uncomfortable for our nervous system, we'll sabotage it somehow. And so the more secure we become within ourselves, the more securely we can relate with other people as well. And what starts to happen as you, as you really practice this, as you really consciously develop that secure attachment within yourself, the inconsistent, avoidant, anxious, controlling, manipulative, all that stuff just starts to lose its appeal. Because, again, your, your love life will always reflect the blueprint that you have about it. It will always reflect the blueprint that you have about it. And so when your blueprint becomes dominantly secure, you will crave healthy, conscious, secure relationships with other people. Because that's what your blueprint says to look for. In, in, in an interesting way, right, your ego has been rewired to think that is safety. It's actually, it's actually working properly now, right? It's actually doing its job now. It's clarifying what's safe and what's not, and it's telling you to seek safety. When you were young, the system got some bad wiring. And like, look, this, this is none of our fault. And it's not even your parents' fault. Like I, I see comments on my post sometimes and people say like, I'm so tired of people blaming their parents. Like, I'm not blaming your parents. Your parents were probably more fucked up than you are. <laughs> that wasn't their fault. And I'm not blaming their parents. How far back does it go? Does it go back to when we had severed heads on spikes in the middle of the street when you're walking? I mean, like how far back does this go? Like human beings have a dark history. We're just, we're just barely coming out of that. And I mean, you could arguably say we're not even out of it because there's still a lot of messed up stuff happening in the world. So like this goes so far back, human beings have not been safe and regulated in their bodies ever in history. I mean, there has never been a society that promoted regulated, healthy individuals, at least not as far back as we can tell. And so we are actually at a place in our human development, our human evolution here, where we're having these conversations for the first time. And we're learning the tools to, to heal 
eons of generational trauma. So it's not your parents' fault. It's not your fault. It's not your grandparents' fault. This, the human race has inherited this. It's been going on for a long time. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Because every single one of us who is alive right now, who has access to this information, has the opportunity to have it stop with us. And so if you learn to regulate yourself, if you learn to actually seek healthy, secure love in your life, then what you're going to do is you're going to perpetuate that around you. You're going to pass that on to your children. If you have children, the other people in your life are going to see you. You're going to be a living example of that. Like so many people reach out to my wife and I, and they say that our relationship inspires them. And I'm like, if you knew half of what we went through behind the scenes, you might not be so inspired. But, but beside, that's besides the point. The point is, is that my wife and I are doing the work and we are an example of what healthy love looks like in the world. And so we have become an inspiration to people to seek that for themselves. And every person who chooses this for themselves has that same opportunity. Like, you might not really understand the gravity of this. This is how we end war. Right? People are, people are so upset about what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now. And I'm upset about it too. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm upset about it too. I just understand that if it wasn't that, it would be something else. And if it wasn't that, it would be something else. And if it wasn't that, it would be something else. And it's always going to be something else until we collectively heal what's going on inside of us. The same way, the same way we seek out these chaotic romantic situations that are hurtful and toxic is just a microcosm of the wars that we fight on the macrocosm. It's all a reflection of wounded, dysregulated adults behaving as children. Like, I mean, literally, like, what's, what's one of the most foundational lessons a child gets is how to share. And here we are, these nations, and we can't even figure out how to share resources with each other. We have 30% of the world starving right now, while half of the world throws away more, more than enough food to feed all of them. Why is it that way? Because we're not even adult enough to know how to share. I mean, these, these are really, this is the cause of our problems in this world. And it all starts with you. It starts with you healing yourself and then spreading healing to the world. And you don't have to do it on a platform like this the way I'm doing it. You can if you want to. But a healed person will spread healing around them everywhere they go. They can't even help it. It's just part of who they are. So for yourself, for the people you love, and for the world, make a commitment to heal. Make a commitment to rewrite this blueprint 
that you've been operating from since the time you were very young. Make it a blueprint based in conscious, secure, healthy love. And I just want to say, this will be the last thing I say about it, is that the Inspired Love Program is literally a step-by-step -step guided process where I teach you how to do exactly that. I hold your hand, I guide you every step of the way, and I teach you how to do exactly that. So what do we do first? First thing we do is, is we, we learn how to feel somatically in your body. Right? The very first thing we do is I teach you how to somatically feel into your emotional body and work with that. Second thing we do is we look at your relationship with your parents. We look at the archetypes that were expressed, the energetic archetypes that were expressed by your parents and how they shaped your blueprint for love. Third thing we do is we look at your beliefs and how those beliefs developed in childhood and then how they patterned themselves throughout your life and perpetuated themselves and got you addicted to them. That's the third thing we do. Next, we do direct inner child healing. We actually do exactly what I'm talking about today. I teach you how to do this step by step. Then we shift gears a little bit and it becomes about applying this to your life. So then we go out into the world, recreating the experiences, learning how to regulate ourselves within the experience. So by the time you're done with the program, you have a comprehensive set of tools that you can take with you wherever you go. And the overwhelming feedback that people report having graduated the program is not that not that they don't have any challenges anymore, not that they don't struggle with things. I mean, that, that's a life thing. And, and we're always going to have challenges. We're always going to struggle. You know, if you're not, if you don't have challenges in your life, then I, I think what you're just really not living, right? You're just really not living. You're just remaining comfortable and hiding from life. We all have challenges in life. But what people report having graduated the program, whether they're in a relationship or not, and I would say about 50% of the people by the time they graduate the program are usually in a relationship. But for the other 50% who aren't in a relationship, what 100% of them report is that they experience relationships completely differently. They experience relationships completely differently. I, I see someone asking if, if you can give me a call. Um, I'm not available for a call, but if, you, if you're interested, what you can do, shoot me a message and I'll set up a call for you with my team where they can go over all the details about the program and help you figure out if this is the right thing for you. Um, so I'm not available for a call, but if you want, just shoot me a message and I'll be able to uh, get you set up. Um, and I'd say for anyone, you know, we're, we're coming into the holidays now. I know this can be a lonely time of year for a lot of people. I know it can be a stressful time of year for a lot of people. I know your family's probably asking you, well, you know, why, why are you still single? And you know, all this annoying things they do, right? So I know like this is a, it's a challenging time um, for a lot of people, both in and out of relationships. I know relationships can take uh, a huge toll like this time of year, which is so much that you're dealing with. So it's a challenging time. And if, if you feel that you need support in navigating this time. And, you know, maybe you started out 2023 thinking like, this is going to be my year. And now you're coming to the end of the year and you're going, well, it really wasn't my year. Right. And I get that. I've, I've had a lot of years like that. Right. So, you know, if you're, if you're feeling like, you know, 2023 is supposed to be my year 
and it wasn't my year and I don't feel like I've really moved the needle any further this year than I did in the previous year. If that's you, I get that. I've been there. And, and that's a painful thing to wake up to. But if that's what you're feeling right now, my question for you would be, what are you going to do to make 2024 your year? How are you going to rewrite this blueprint now so that 2024 can be your year? How are you going to rewrite the blueprint so that in 2024, you start seeking healthy, consistent, secure love instead of just recreating these patterns? And so if, if you're there right now, and I know a lot of you are, and I got a lot of love for you in that position. I've been there. I, I know how that feels. And what I want to say is consider joining, for, joining us for Inspired Love. Um, you know, uh, we have a money-back guarantee, so you're, you're not going to get something you don't want. There's that, first of all, right? You're not going to get something you don't want. Second of all, you know, if you just take a little bit of time and a little bit of money and make this investment in yourself, the whole rest of your life could be different. But if you let another year go by without doing that, you got to ask yourself, what's really going to change? What's really going to change? So that's all I want to say about that. You know, if you are ready to make this shift for real and permanently, that's what the Inspired Love program is there for. Um, I would love to guide you in that process. If you don't join the Inspired Love program, do something, right? But, but do something that's going to have 2024 be your year. That's my invitation for all of you. And if you trust me, you want to work with me, you understand my process, you want me to guide this process for you, then join us in Inspired Love. Um, so if you, uh, if you would like information about that, email me. It's shaneandfatima at thelivingrelationship.com. That's S-H-A-N-E, the word A-N-D, my wife's name, F-A-T-I-M-A, at thelivingrelationship.com. You can email me there. We'll get a call set up with you um, so you can learn about the program. Or if you want, just sh uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram and uh, we can get that set up for you there as well. All right. So yes, if you're interested, reach out. We'll get that moving for you. That being said, I'm going to jump in and take some questions now. Okay, so I'm going to start with this question. Um, does silence make a man run away from us? And the, the short answer is maybe sometimes under the right conditions, but that's definitely not a rule. And what I want to coach you on here for, for you and for everybody is stop looking for simple answers like that because answers are always more nuanced. There is no one thing that does something all the time, right? Answers are always more nuanced than that. So does silence make a man run away from you? Well, why are you being silent? What happened before that silence? You know, um, are you going silent because he went silent, right? Like, I mean, just there are so many factors here that go into answering that question. And I think we've got to, like, we've got to develop enough awareness to understand that silence can be powerful at times, right? Silence can be powerful. It can be very powerful to let someone sit with their thoughts. You know, like some, something I often recommend is when you have the whole, what are we doing here conversation, right? Where are we going? What are we doing? What do you want? Is this long-term? All of that. When we have that kind of conversation with people, um, usually, usually, I say, 
or, or let me put it this way. When you have that, what are we doing here conversation with someone and, and the person says, I just can't commit right now. I'm just not ready for that. Maybe down the road, but I just, I just don't know. I, I need to get to a place in my career or blah, 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 whatever they say. Right. But they say, I'm just not ready for that right now. This is my advice to all the women I coach. Cause it's often a woman talking to a man about this. It can be the other way. It's often not. Um, but it, it would work if it was the other way too. But this is what I, I coach all the women on is I say, okay, when you have that conversation with him and he says, I'm not ready. I just can't commit right now. Go silent. Go a hundred percent silent. Right. So like, so you, you say, I mean, don't just immediately when he says that go silent, you, you say, okay, I understand. I respect that. Thank you for your honesty. I don't want to push you into anything you're not ready for, but I know what I'm ready for. So I'm going to move on. And that's the end, right? So we're ending our relationship here, right? It's been wonderful exploring with you. Thank you for your honesty. I know what I'm looking for. And if you're not ready for that, I'm going to move on, right? Then you go silent. Don't follow up. Don't check in. Don't say anything. Go silent because here's what's going to happen 50% of the time. 50% of the time, he's going to sit. He's going to think about it. He's going to go, did I make a mistake? Should I have given it a shot? Maybe I am ready. I don't want to lose her. Like, wow, we were having so much fun. I miss her already. Like, man, maybe I really should have been open to that. And then he's going to call you back and he's going to say, listen, I was too harsh. I think I can be open to it. Let's give it a shot. But he only came to that conclusion because you gave him the space to sit with it. If you had been texting him, how are you feeling after our call last night? Or how are you feeling after our talk? And are you sure you don't want to reconsider? Like you're going to lose something really great. Like if you're giving him all of that, all you're doing is letting him know that he still has you and that he doesn't need to reconsider his decision. And by the way, if, if we're talking about a man, have a conversation with a woman, it'll work that way too. But, but the point here is, is that silence can be powerful when used in the right way in the right time. And this isn't game playing, by the way. I'm not talking about playing games because here's the thing. You're not being silent as a game. If a week goes by and you don't hear from him, you're moving on, right? It's not like I'm being silent just to wait and see if I hear from you. No, I'm being silent because we ended our relationship and I'm moving on. And if I get too far out of here and I don't hear anything from you, I'm not even going to be an option for you anymore because I'm going to have moved too far on. But if you call me this week, and my heart's still kind of there, I could be open to it, right? Like that's kind of where we're coming from. So this isn't game playing, but it is being powerful. It is being intentional. It's knowing where you stand. It's knowing how you want to operate. So no, silence does not make a man run away. Now, if you just ignore him for three weeks, he might just lose interest because you're ignoring him. But silence doesn't make a man run away. A better question would be, and I'm giving you this because I want you to start thinking in this way. And this is for you and for everybody. A better question than asking, does silence make a man run away? Would be, when is the best time to use silence in a relationship or in dating someone? When is the best time to be silent? Or what are the best times or situations to be silent? That would be an amazing question to ask. 
because now you're getting into the nuance and the the relational dynamics and and like the intention of knowing what I want to create in this relationship and being intentional about how I show up to create that, right? That's a very different place of operating than does silence make men run away, right? So I'm just coaching you on that a little bit because I want you to start to think in this way, right? There's no one thing that applies all the time. Relationships are nuanced. There's a, there's a play, there's a dance that happens and you've got to know the steps to the dance, right? You can't be in there stepping on everyone's toes. So, so knowing, the, knowing the steps to the dance allows you to navigate it in a graceful and powerful and sexy and flirty and fun and attractive way. So um, those are my thoughts on that. Thank you for the question. Send in love. All right, we're going to jump in with la-di-da here. How do we deal with someone going through hard times and struggling to show them love? Wonderful question. Thank you for the question, la-di-da. How do we deal with someone going through hard times and struggling to show them love? I think when it comes to our partner going through hard times, and, you know, it it depends a lot on the person because the person could be very receptive to support or the person could be very unreceptive to support. And if someone is unreceptive to support, then you trying to support them is just going to create more distance. They're just going to get frustrated. They're going to get aggravated. They're not going to want anything to do with it. So supporting someone is always about supporting them in the way that's best for them. But if you're in a relationship with someone, so let's just say like, um, for example, I've, I've spoken about it many times, like my wife went through cancer treatment, right? And that was like, I mean, one of the biggest challenges that either of us have been through, but specifically for her, she was going through a lot. And I wanted to be there to support her as best I could. A lot of what she needed was just space. Like there was really nothing for me to do. She just needed space and time when she could be in her room resting by herself. And like me being there or trying to do something for her would have just made her experience worse. Right? Like she was already going through hell. And what she needed from me was just to give her space to do that. Now, my presence being there, like her knowing that I was there was helpful. If she wanted to talk, she knew I could talk to her, right? Um, something I did during that time was like, I took her for a walk every day, right? So um, there, was a, there was a park near our house that had a trail that was about a mile and a half long or two miles, something like that. And so I would, I would get her up every day and like get her out and we would walk the two miles together. And that was tough for her, right? Like if it, if it was her left to her own devices, she would have just stayed in bed. But because I was there to like motivate her and, and that was something she communicated to me is like, that's very helpful. That helps me, right? So I had to find out how I could help her and be okay with that level of help and then let her help herself in the way she needed. And I know some things I struggled with in that was that like, when the best way to help her was to leave her alone, but I wanted connection, 
I wanted to connect with her, right? And this is, I mean, maybe six months where, yeah, we would go on a walk together every morning and we would maybe go out to dinner sometime. And there were days when she was feeling a little bit better and we could maybe do more then. But like, it was about six months that we had very little relationship with each other, right? Like it was just, she was going through what she was going through. I was just kind of there and we would have our moments each day that we would interact, but there was a lot of distance between us. And that was very tough for me. And the best thing I could do to support her was take care of myself in the distance. And so that's what I would say is like support them the way they need to be supported. And outside of that, take care of yourself. So you're not putting your needs on them when they're not able to deal with them. Right. So just to make it very clear, if my wife was going through chemotherapy, you know, sick, laying in bed, and then I'm all up in her face, like, I need connection. I need you to take care of me. I need you to love me. I need you to pay attention to me. Right. Like, like that wouldn't have helped very much. So I needed to deal with all of that myself so that she could have the space she needed to get better. And by the way, I didn't do it perfectly. She didn't do it perfectly. It was a freaking mess. Like, I'll just be honest about it. It was a freaking mess. But we got through it and we we both did our best. So, um, yeah, like, that, that's what I'd say is like, this is not an easy thing. One other, one other point I would add is this is my wife. We'd been together for like five years at the time. We lived together. We were committed, right? So it's a little bit different when that happens. Um, you know, if this is a new relationship you're in with this person and they're going through a hard time distancing themselves from the relationship and you're trying to show up for them, I don't necessarily think you owe that person that, right? So it's one thing when it's your partner that you've committed to in sickness and health and you're going to be there no matter what. It's another thing when it's someone you're dating and they're withdrawing from the relationship and you're trying to continue being there for them. Sometimes the best thing is just to say, listen, you're going through stuff. I respect that, but like, it's not my job to take this on. So I I wish you the best. I wish you lots of love and and I hope you, I hope you do okay. But, but it's, it's not my role here. I like, we just met a few months ago. It's not my role to like take responsibility for what you're going through right now. And it's okay to say that, you know, again, if you're not committed to the person on that level. So those are my thoughts. Um, Tough thing to go through, sending love, and thank you for the question. Okay, thank you. Um, All right, let's see. Where are we going to go here? Smile at fear. I'm going to get to your question now. Where is it? Okay. So smile at fear says, I don't understand why I'm depressed. The child in me just feels it strongly, but never got to know the reason clearly by my inner child. How to know. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful question. Thank you so much. And very on topic for today. Um, So you're saying you carry this depression and you don't know why, but the, but the inner child feels it strongly. Well, you don't really need to know why. I mean, look, a lot of our trauma that kind of set up our blueprint for life, 
a lot of that trauma happened that we'll never remember, right? I, I was thinking about this recently. It's like when I think back to my childhood, what I remember was my mom being very loving, very kind, very supportive. Like that's what I remember about my childhood. But I, I also know that I was grounded about 75% of my childhood. Like I'm not even kidding. Like I remember weeks on end where I would sit at my window and look outside and watch my friends playing outside because I wasn't allowed to go play with them. And this happened for weeks. Like I actually, I actually got so comfortable sitting in front of the window, watching my friends play outside that it was actually enjoyable to me because this is how often I was grounded. Now, the reason I got grounded so much, I, I have very little memory of this, but intellectually, I know that this is what happened is that my mom and I would get in these awful fights where we were like in each other's faces, like just arguing. I don't, we weren't screaming at each other, but we would just be like up in each other's faces arguing. And the way it would work is I would get into one of these arguments with my mom and she would be like, you're grounded for a week, grounded for two weeks, grounded for three weeks, grounded for four weeks. Okay. You're grounded for two months, three months. And by the time, by the time the argument would be over, I'd be grounded for like six months. And then I would literally have to like serve six months and then I would not be grounded for like two weeks and then I would get grounded again. Like this was literally my childhood. It was so awful. And, but I have like, logically, I know that these things happened, but I have very little memory of them. And, and so what I want to say is like, we will repress some things because they were just painful. We will, some things happened when we were so young that we don't even remember. Like, you know, if you were, if you were two years old, and someone was like touching you inappropriately, you wouldn't necessarily remember that. But you might have a somatic experience of being like violated or not being safe. Or, or like, you know, like you lay down in bed and you just can't go to sleep at night and you have no idea why. But it's because like your blueprint got hardwired, like I'm not safe in my bed at night, right? So I'm just giving different examples because we don't necessarily know where it all comes from but you don't need to. What you need to understand is that something happened. And like, look, we're, we're never really going to know. Like when you think about your past, you don't remember your past. You like, this is how memory works. Just as a side note, the way memory works is that when you think about your past, you pull together the facts that you know are true and piece them together in a way that fits the self-image that you have of yourself right now. And, and what this means is that if I feel a certain way today, I'm going to construct a memory in a way that is reflective of how I feel today. And if I feel differently tomorrow, I'm going to construct a memory that's reflective of how I feel then. And like you, you might experience with your siblings where you both remember something that happened because factually you know it happened. But when you tell the story, you tell it one way and your sibling tells it a completely different way. Why does that happen? Well, because neither one of the memories are true. You're both literally constructing memories in this now moment through your now perception of life based on facts that you know are true, right? So you're, not, you're never going to have the actual memory of what happened. Nobody else is ever going to have the actual memory of what happened. You're only going to piece together things in a way that reflects how you feel now. And the reason I'm saying this is because you don't need the actual memory. 
What you need to understand is that you have been, if you say you're depressed, this, I want to be clear, this may not be the actual truth for you. You'll need to do the work to find out what your truth is. But I'm just going to give an example of what it could be like in your situation, because I would need to work with you to know how it actually is. But if you, if you're kind of chronically depressed, then we could say that you, that your blueprint got wired to sadness. Now, why? Well, for whatever reason in childhood, whatever experiences or energies you were exposed to, your, your environment, um, you being sad in your environment helped you survive the environment. It helped you get your needs met. It helped you get the love, the attention, the approval. Maybe it was like, maybe that was the only way that your parents ever showed you attention was if you were sad. If you were happy, they just basically ignored you. But when you started crying and you were sad, all of a sudden you were the center of attention. Maybe that's what it was. And so you developed a blueprint that says like, I have to be sad all the time to be loved. Again, I'm not saying this is truth for you, but it could be. Now, what you would need to do is you would need to recognize the blueprint, recognize it operating, right? Then meet that child. Again, the, the, the somatic part of this is bringing the adult to the child, right? Bringing the capable, rational, intelligent, talented, secure adult aspect of you. And all of us have aspects of our lives where we experience this, right? Maybe at work, maybe you go in at work and you're a boss and you own it and you get shit done, right? But all of us have places in our lives where we experience that being capable, being secure, being talented. And so you've got to connect to that part of yourself. And then while you're embodied in that part of yourself, you've got to look at that depressed, wounded child. And you've just got to You've just got to hold that child. You've got to meet those childhood needs, right? So maybe just following the example we're working with here, maybe what you really needed as a child was to be acknowledged for your happiness, right? If you only ever got acknowledged when you were sad, maybe you needed your happiness to be acknowledged and encouraged and validated. So maybe what you would do is you would think of a time when you were a child where you were really happy, where you were really excited, where you were, you know, maybe it was your birthday party and, or maybe it was Christmas or maybe it was, you know, a sleepover at a friend's house or, or maybe it was a, you know, trip you went on or whatever, right? But a time when you were really excited as a child and you as this internal parent to yourself would want to speak to that child and be like, it's so amazing that you're excited you look so beautiful when you're happy. I love seeing you happy. I love watching you play, right? And you would actually meet the needs of that child the way that that child needed it, right? And then what would happen is that internal child would just feel a little bit more safe being happy. That internal child would just be a little bit more safe being excited being inspired, being motivated, right? Like that, that little internal child would just feel a little bit safer with that experience. And then you start working with that anytime you feel depressed, right? So whenever you feel depressed, you just go, oh, there's my little eight-year-old again, right? It's not me being a grown-up being depressed. I don't really have that much to be depressed about. I mean, 
you know, I have all my needs met. I, I have, you know, food in my belly. Like I don't really have a lot to be depressed about. So it must be my eight-year-old who's depressed, right? Okay, let me look at that eight-year-old. What's going on with them, right? Let me send them some love. Let me encourage them. Let me validate them. Let me support them. Let me, in, in my mind's eye, I can even imagine myself like wrapping them in a hug and holding them. That's it. That's really all you got to do. And if you start bringing every experience of depression to that safe, internal, loving parent, you will naturally start to feel safer and safer and safer outside of depression. A lot of times what we do, and I just want to say this because I'm not a doctor. I want to preface that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not telling you what to do medically. I'm just sharing an opinion and something I've observed with lots of people. But a lot of times what we'll do is we will, instead of doing what I'm suggesting here, we will develop some kind of coping mechanism for the depression, whether it's medication, alcohol, marijuana, um, et cetera, it could, could, you know, pills, whatever, but we develop some kind of coping mechanism for the depression. And then what happens is we actually, we actually never really deal with the depression. It's very similar to like the relational patterns that I was talking about earlier, right? Where <clears throat> we, um, in the same way where if you're addicted to chasing people or, or you're always avoidant, right? But if you have a relational pattern that shows up again and again and again, well, you know, some kind of some kind of coping pattern for depression could be very similar, right? Where it's it's just something we stay in that makes us feel safe, right? So I stay on a medication or I smoke marijuana because it makes me feel safe. And what ultimately ends up happening is we never really deal with the depression itself or the, the root of it or where it's coming from. We just kind of survive it. And so my, my theory is that medications and, you know, medicines and things can be helpful at times in certain times and places, depending on what we're going through. But ultimately, where we want to get to is, is being able to deal with all of our experiences without needing to medicate in some way. And, and I'm someone who has used substances of different sorts throughout my life. So I'm, I'm not saying that you should be there now. I'm saying in the long term, that's what ultimate healing looks like. And if you're in a stage where you're on medication, it's okay to be there. But just something to consider, food for thought, talk to your doctor about it, is maybe considering at what point you would be ready to get off of it, what that process could look like, and how your experience of life might open up without it. And that's something that you can work towards with your doctor if you want to. Um, so yeah, beautiful question. Beautiful question. I hope I gave you a good answer. Um, you know, you don't need to know every little thing. You don't need to remember every single thing. What you have available to you is enough. And you've just got to work with what you have available to you. And, and a lot of times, the more we work with what we have available, the more memories surface. Uh, you know, I'll just say this as one last thought. Sometimes memories don't surface because our body does not feel safe enough to have that memory. And then what can sometimes happen 
as we become more regulated, as we become more secure in ourselves, we actually feel safe enough to have that memory. And so then it, it starts to emerge from our subconscious to our conscious because we now feel safe enough to hold it. And so, um, again, whatever you have right now is enough. You just start working there. And if you feel like you don't really know where to start or you don't really know how to do it, well, that's where you need some support. So joining a program like my Inspired Love program or working one-on-one -on -one with a therapist, um, these, are, these are ways to get support to help you navigate this if you don't know how to navigate it already. Um, beautiful question. Thank you for sharing. So um, from Catherine, she's asking, how do you replicate some of the excitement from dangerous types with someone safe? This is a really good question. Because you, you really can't, right? And, and so that dangerous feeling, that, that, um, that excitement feeling, right? The, the excitement you're talking about, the excitement that comes from dangerous types, right? Well, where does that come from, right? Like, why, why do you even feel that excitement? Like, I mean, think about it. What, logically speaking, what is exciting about someone who you go out with, you have an amazing time, and then they go dark for two weeks afterwards? Like, what is exciting about that? There's, there's nothing that is actually exciting about that, right? In fact, wouldn't it be more exciting to have someone where you go out, have a great time, and then they call you the next day and you can do it again, and you can do it again, you can do it again. I mean, logically speaking, wouldn't that be more exciting? Like it's, it's more fun, there's more connection, everything you want, all the stuff that you got with that person in that one night and then they go dark, right? All that stuff that you got from them that one night, you get it over and over and over and over again in a relationship. Like, like wouldn't that logically be more exciting? Yes, it would. So we're not dealing with an actual excitement here. We are dealing with a hardwired pattern in your nervous system. The reason it feels exciting is not because it's exciting. It's because it's activating a familiar pattern from your childhood. And you like being in that pattern. Now, I know long term, that pattern really fucking sucks and is painful. But in the short term, you like being in that pattern. You like the way it feels. Why? Because it's familiar. It's what you know. It's what you can control. It's what you've lived through again and again and again and again and again. And of course, there's always the insidious promise that it'll be different this time. Right? So this is, I mean, this is like the ego's ultimate promise, but it never delivers on it. The ego's like, you can play that same old pattern with all that intensity and all that fear and all that, ah, right? The ego's like, you can play that same old pattern, but we're going to make it work this time. Now, the ego never delivers on that promise. It always falls flat, but it, it, it makes that promise. And that's like, it's almost like, psychologically speaking, there's almost this feeling that if I can get this person to do for me what my parents never did, then I can heal all of that. It's, it's almost like a misguided attempt at healing, right? It's like, it's like my parents made me feel like I wasn't enough, 
But if I put this person up on a pedestal just like my parents were, and then I can get them to think I'm enough, well, then I will finally feel enough. I will finally get the need met that my parents never met. Only problem is that never actually works, right? Like you can't, you can't have someone external to you meet that need. You've got to meet that need internally. And then the irony is once you feel comfortable meeting that need internally, you will actually be available to have someone meet it externally. But you have to feel safe enough inside yourself receiving that first because otherwise you'll push people away or you won't allow for it. You'll be too anxious to actually allow yourself to be loved. You'll be like, I want love, I want love, I want you to love me, I want you to love me, I want you to love me, but I'm too anxious to actually let you love me. (laughs) Right? Because no matter how much you love me, I'm always going to be afraid that you don't. Or the other side of it is the avoidance side, where it's like, you might love me, but I'm just not, I'm just not up for that. (laughs) Right? It's like, that is just way too uncomfortable for me. So, you can't replicate the excitement. What you've got to do is learn to be excited about something else. Look, I, I spent a lot of years chasing non-committal women. I mean, like just, you know, trying to prove myself, playing that whole game. I mean, I spent a lot of years doing that. But by the time I met my wife, it was, it was genuinely, genuinely exciting for me to feel that someone wanted the same things I wanted. It was genuinely exciting for me. And I'll, 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 I'll say this, I'll validate this. Like there was also a certain amount of push-pull because, because my wife had a more avoidant style. So there were some of those familiar dynamics there but the difference was that where in my past avoidant people would they would there was a different flavor to it because yet my wife had the avoidant tendencies but she would also communicate to me that I really want this and I'm working on this and I want to be with you and this relationship scares me but I don't want it to scare me I want to be open to it so there was, there was a little bit of that push-pull, and, and maybe that was attractive to me to a degree. But I'll tell you what, I, I loved how open and honest she was about the fact that she wanted the same things I did. And that was like the possibility of actually having a secure relationship was super exciting to me. And that's the... That's because... I had healed a lot of that stuff already. Like I had, I had literally gotten to a point where I was just exhausted. Like I just like, I just like genuinely did not want it anymore. Like when, when I saw those like kind of push pull games and, and someone not being authentic or like I tried to talk to someone, like I I would tell someone I liked them and they wouldn't say it back. Like it, it just, it just became super unattractive to me because I was so over it. Like I just got to a place where I was just like, like fucking eye roll. Like, oh my God, here we go again. Another one of these fucking people, right? Like, so I, I think there's, there's gotta be a certain amount of growing into that. You don't want to try to replicate that. You want to actually get to a place where you desire something different. Like, 
In the Inspired Love program, I talk about it like this, is that there's a, there's a vibrational state of desire. I've talked about this on the podcast too. But there's a vibrational state of desire. And that vibrational state of desire produces a feeling of craving. As long as I live in the vibrational state of desire, I am always going to be craving. And the excitement that you're talking about here is actually a form of craving, right? It's like, will I get it? Won't get it. I want it. It's intense. I'm craving it. The When, when I crave it and then I do get it for a moment, it's like, ah, and then it's gone. And I'm like, now I got to get it back. It's like that, right? It's that cycle of craving. That excitement is usually a, some kind of feeling of craving. Then the when you get to a, a vibrational state of acceptance, which I, I say in the Inspired Love program, the aim of the program is to move you from a vibrational state of desire to a vibrational state of acceptance. Like that's literally everything we do in the program is aimed at that one goal, to get you out of desire where you're constantly chasing unfulfilling things that never pan out and into acceptance, where you're at peace with yourself, you're at peace with other people, you have a secure internal attachment and you're ready to create secure relationship, right? And the, the vibrational or, or the, the emotional state of acceptance is harmonious, right? And so at the level of desire, there's an unfulfilled craving that is always present. I'm always seeking to fulfill this craving. And then at the level of acceptance, there's an emotional state of harmony where I feel at peace. I feel balanced. I feel that everything in my life is working together. I feel like I'm on track for what I want. I feel like I'm moving toward it. I feel secure within myself. From the state of acceptance, what you want in relationship is very different than what you want at the state of desire. And so on the one level, we're talking about inner child healing, which it is that. And on another level, as you do that inner child healing, that forming that internal secure attachment, your vibration naturally raises because you have less fear. The more secure you become, the less fear you have. And fear is ultimately what lowers your vibration. So I, I, I say all of this to say that it's not about recreating the old thing in a new package. It's about putting down the old thing and picking up the new one. Right? It's a, it's a recreation of your own identity which is what we do in the Inspired Love Program. We, we, we build you a new identity. We build you an identity based on your truth and your values versus your trauma. Most of us are living in an identity based on our trauma. Our trauma defines who we are versus our vision, our values, right? So I think I've answered that beautiful question. Thank you for asking it, amazing question. And sending you lots of love, all right? Thank you so much for jumping in with that. Okay, last question I want to take today is, this is from Chelsea Chabrek. Um, she says, how do we figure out our needs and values in a relationship if we are someone who is typically codependent in relationships? That's good. And if, if you're typically codependent, then you're probably more on the anxious side of the spectrum would be my guess. Avoidant people are usually ultra independent, right? So... How do you identify your needs and values in a relationship if you're someone who is typically codependent? 
Well, I always say this. If you are, if you are an anxiously oriented person, your work is always going to be to, to create space. Your work is always going to be to, to put some distance in the relationship, right? Your work is always going to be to have alone time or to have time with your friends, your family, or your hobbies, your interests, time away from your partner, right? So if you know you're a codependent person and you're probably anxiously oriented, then you want to like, I, I would make it a goal every week to spend like a day by yourself or, or like at least separate from your partner, right? So if you go out and do something by yourself, you sit and enjoy your hobbies, you take a class, you go out with friends, but like, but like literally like build it into your life where you have like conscious, conscious time apart, where you are, where you are getting to know yourself, not in relationship with your partner. Um, for the avoidant people, it'd be the opposite, right? I would say make conscious time to be with your partner, right? Like make for the avoidant person, it might be like, it might be like, yeah, a few hours a week is good for me. So like make it a point to spend one day, one entire day every week with your partner, even do a sleepover, wake up together, go have breakfast, right? Like, like open yourself up to that intimacy. But in, in to answer the question, by making that commitment to give yourself space, by making that commitment to create distance in your relationship, you will naturally have time and space to identify your own needs and values. Now, in that space, you would think about, okay, how do I want to use that space, right? How, how can I really enjoy that space? So then, I mean, that's going to have you identifying values right there, right? If you think about how do I really want to enjoy my space, like something I want to do this winter is do like a solo ski trip, or I could go with friends too, but I don't really know how to ski. So I don't really want to take my friends because they're just going to be bored with me not knowing how to ski. So I'd rather do a solo trip, learn how to ski, go with my friends next year. Anyway, um, I, I say all this to say that um, like that, like a value of mine is like adventure, being outdoors, um, doing like exciting activities, like adrenaline activities. Like I value that, right? I love roller coasters. I love even though I haven't been skiing, I love skiing. Like I know, I already know I love it. Um, like I love water skiing. I've been water skiing and wakeboarding and um, like swimming with dolphins and um, mountain climbing. Like I, I love like adventure activities, right? So by thinking about how I want to spend my space apart from my wife, that has me automatically connecting to my values. Um, so so I, I really think that's it, right? The more you create space within yourself, your relationship for yourself, the more, the more you will naturally discover yourself. Now, skiing was one example. Doing a trip with friends is another example. Um, there can be smaller ways of doing it, like taking an afternoon to sit on the couch with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and journal. And... I think it's important to kind of have both because you don't always want it to be about being out in the world. You also want it to be about going inside. Um, asking yourself questions like, you know, what, what needs might I have that are not naturally met in this relationship? Although for, for a codependent person, you're probably looking for your, for your needs to be met exclusively through your relationship. Right. So you might, 
You might ask yourself, what needs do I have outside of this relationship, right, that aren't being fulfilled? Maybe I have need for friendship. Maybe I have need for time to be with myself. So um, I, th I think all of that, you know, start with creating space. Again, if it's one day a week that you just spend apart from each other and start with creating that space, or maybe it's even two days a week or three days a week, right? But you, you start with creating that space. Then you start thinking about how do I want to spill this? Uh, how do I want to fill this space? Right. Then you start looking at introspective work you can do in that space as well. Journaling, meditating, learning, reading, reflecting, just getting to know yourself, understanding yourself. Right. So I think a lot of your answer is going to come simply through creating space to explore that answer. Um, I'd say start there. Start there and then see what you come up with. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's going to take you a long way. All right, let me just quickly scroll through here, see who else we got with us. Um, I do see a bunch of questions and comments that have come in. Um, unfortunately, I am not going to be able to get to all of them today, but thank you for being with me and thank you for dropping them in the chat. Um, sending you so much love to all of you. All right, so... Um, Couple of things in closing. I, I do just want to say, I know I mentioned it a few times today, but I do just want to say we have recently opened up the unlimited version of the Inspired Love Program. Um, this includes a lifetime membership. It includes um, just an incredible community, incredible support. You know, if you're if you're going this alone, you're trying to figure this out on your own, and you're reading books and listening to podcasts, and it's all very confusing. Um, and you're, you know, like, I, I think the metric really is, is like, are things changing in your life, right? Are you getting better results? Are you attracting more of what you want? Are you feeling better about yourself? Are you creating boundaries that you didn't know how to create before? Are you asking for what you want in ways that you haven't been able to before, right? Like, like the question is, are you getting what you want? Are you getting the results you're looking for? And, and if you're not, and I say this with a lot of love, if you're not, then it's time to take it up a notch, right? It's, it's time to explore something that you haven't already explored. And I know the holidays, as I said, are a sensitive time for people, you know, a time that really can highlight our loneliness, can highlight the areas of our life that we don't really feel fulfilled in. And just what I want to say is like, if you're going through that right now, I, I get you, I, I feel you, I'm with you on that. And like, I want to be there for you in that experience because there really is... Like there really is a way to heal all of this. There really is a way for it to be different. And I know I would have not gotten to where I am today in terms of the marriage I have, the home I have, the career I have, um, you know, the, the life I have. Like I would have not gotten to where I was today if it wasn't for the programs I've done, the, the coaches who supported me. Like I would not have learned all of this on my own. I just wouldn't have. It has been the teacher's that I have opened myself up to in my life that have allowed me to level up. And if I, if I hadn't opened myself up to that 10 years ago, I would probably still be living paycheck to paycheck, renting a room in someone's house and struggling in my relationships because that's where I was when I started doing the healing work. So I, I say this to say that, you know, if you know there's another level for you, you, you can see it, you can feel it, you can taste it, but you can't quite reach it. That's when you know it's time to open yourself up to a teacher, a coach, a therapist who can 
create a possibility for you that wasn't there before. And I just want to say that I would love to be that person for you if you trust me, if you trust my work. Um, if you don't feel that I'm that person, that's totally okay. But go find that person, right? Go find that person that you do trust that can give you that possibility. And um, just last thing is that the Inspired Love program is open for enrollment. Um, we are not actively promoting it right now. We are we are kind of starting it organically with a small community. Um, and so if you want to get in on kind of the ground level of this and, and be part of this intimate community and um, get my personalized support in... Uh, in, in this, I would love to be there for you. So um, that being said, you can email me at shaneandfatima at thelivingrelationship.com. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram and we'll be able to get you set up, uh, set you up with one of our team members. They will break down all the details about the program for you. Um, there, is no, there is no commitment to sign up. I mean, you could just get on a call, get the details, talk to our team, ask the questions, you know, have them share some insight about your life and whatever you're going through. Take it, do what you want with it. Join the program or don't, but you can at least get on the call and explore and, and find out if this is the right thing for you. Um, that being said, I just want to send everybody so much love, you know, with holidays coming up, with um, everything that we, are, that we are dealing with. I always end with this. I, I know it's a lot. I know it's heavy. I know the intensity of the things we deal with are just crazy in this world. And so I just want you to know that you are loved and that um, you have everything you need to create the most extraordinary life. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Happy holidays to you, uh, whatever holidays those are, whenever you're celebrating them. And um, I'll see you back here next week on Tuesday. Lots of love, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, at The Living Relationship, to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.